Gaming NBS, episode 199, coming to you Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. Welcome to Gibis. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett Gibis. I like that. Gave me NBS. All crammed, all crammed down. GBS. Yeah, it works. How you doing, man? <sighs> you, bought, you, you bought a car, I heard. Oh, my God. The only thing more fun than buying a car is having to buy a home. If anybody out there has not bought a house yet, it sucks. At least I, my experiences with buying homes has never been fun. Nor just, buying a vehicle. I just feel like I'm signing my soul over. Like, here you go, dude. It's just this amount of money. Ugh. I swear it was working when they had it here. I don't know what you did to it as soon as you drove it off the lot, but that that wheel just it fell right off. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and it's it's when you buy a home, you feel like that too, right? You buy this house, you're like, yay. Uh... It could be. It could be the same feeling I get when I get further into Invisible Sun, where I dig in and go, hey. Wow. Wow, this is, what am I going to do with all this crap? You got got it? Hey, Gus, get on the wagon there. Anyway, shall we? All right. Announcements. We've got the usual two up there. We've got evercon.org. Go out there, submit your events for us. That would be awesome. Hope to see uh, some BSers, as we did last year, up at uh, evercon, evercon evercon.org. I bought my badge. For Gamehole, I saw that. I did. Very well done. Yeah. You beat me this year, so I actually have to go out and get that. You done. didn't buy your badge yet? No, no, no. I gotta get that done. Yeah, don't don't show up and like, hey, I'm here to pick up my badge, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And then you're kind of like, what do you mean? Like, oh yeah, I forgot to buy it. You didn't buy one, you dork. What the hell's wrong with you, Kelly? This is what they said to Sean last year. Pretty much. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good grief. So, do-do-do. Oh, man. The other one is uh, Queen City Conquest is coming up in September. I'm going to that. Uh, wow. My, my wife and two kids are coming with me, so that'll be fun. A little New York vacation there. Well, um, so that'll be a good time. Uh, listeners, BSers, if you want to plot a course from, say, Madison, Wisconsin, to it's in Buffalo, right? Yeah. So in Buffalo, New York, and you plot a course... Mm-hmm. And you can come up with suggestions for Brett to stop at <laughs> along the way. Family friendly. Family friendly. I have my children. Family friendly, but the cornier the better. The cornier the better. We'll see. We'll see. Like world, like U.S.'s biggest ball of mud. Um, what else can be out there? Uh, car henge. Yeah. That's an actual thing. I don't know where the hell it is, car henge. Car henge. That's, that's a thing. I don't know where it is in the country though, but that's a thing. A friend of mine, is it a friend of mine, he- car hedge, right? No hinge, hedge. like stone hinge made out of cars. Car hedge, yeah, yeah. A buddy right. of mine in in college that was uh, Mike's thing. He went like to his weird and tackiest of roadside stops he could. That was his thing. Everywhere yeah, he could find, like House of Broken Dolls, <laughs> Mustard Museum, Mustard Museum. Hey, that's in Wisconsin. That's not Mid- actually not that far from Sean and I. Middleton. I know, which is angry because it used to be in Mount Horeb, and it moved to Middleton. Was it in Mount Horeb or Mauston? It was in Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb Muster Museum. I don't know what happened. 
Yeah, Mount Horeb had Mount a falling Horeb out. Lost it. They yeah. lost it. They lost the big attraction. I wonder what do you have to do to piss off a mustard museum so that they say "fuck you, we're moving." They didn't did... give them more space. That could be their ever-growing mustard collection. Why are we talking about them? moving on? Good right, God! This email us that though. Gaming and BS. <laughs> yes, wacky ass places you want me gmail. to stop. <laughs> or Brett. Okay. At gamingandbs.com. Slick. All right, let's go on to Random Encounter before this Random Encounter already? We got some feedback from episodes 197 and 198. We have a a fair amount of feedback, too. Holy crap. We must have pushed some buttons. We must have. It's like pages of feedback. So let's go with uh, Pete Wyeth. He commented on Facebook on episode 198. On the very rare occasion that I get to actually play, I don't use a 10-level plan where you plan on a character's build for 10 levels to optimize the character and not deviating for any reason. Instead, I'll take skills or class levels in something that seems to make sense. Did a friend almost die? My fighter, my fighter will take healing then. They might not be the best at it or <clears throat> had to double the slot cost, but now they can at least give triage if the cleric is busy. Additionally, I have the personality change at a cer- to a certain extent as dictated by game events as a campaign progresses, though I do try to make it somewhat subtle over a period of time. From a GM's perspective, is there, if there's a role-playing reason for a character's limited change, then they don't take that XP hit, although class abilities may be lost in the case of paladins, rangers, clerics, and other classes. However, if the player is just trying to game the system, they get the XP hit and lose class abilities if necessary. Pete Wyeth, I applaud you, sir. Very nice. Good, good stuff. I like that there's something about non-optimized play. Non-optimized play sounds rough. I think uh, kind of building your character in not just to be the best cleric possible or the best whatever, but to build it as the situation needs or something that's kind of immersive. <laughs> not immersive. Do, 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 do. What's the other phrase? The... Um, we talked about this, where story pops out of the game. What the fuck was that phrase? Come on, try strong strain. He's watching me struggle. He knows what this is. Ah, emergent story. Maybe that's it. Maybe that was it. I can't remember anymore. Anyway, point is, instead of plotting out a character, I've seen people do this before, and I dislike it greatly. I love the idea, Pete, of not going in with a hard plan and never deviating. You could have a plan, but at some point... Moving off of it in order to make the character cooler, better, fit the setting, fit the events of the of the adventure and the story. I think that's a cool idea. I think it's a good way to go. Sean, do you do that? Do you actually do you do the ten level plan where you actually plot out your PC? No, no, I do not. I've seen people I, do that. Not just it's not just a class thing. I've seen it happen in GURPS games, even not so much Call of Cthulhu because that one doesn't lend itself to it, but in. Uh, the old White Wolf system when I played that was trying to plot. Oh, after this point, I'll buy this. After actually experience, I'll buy this and this and this because they're trying to build a certain type of power base or whatever. But you don't do that, huh? Um, no, not 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 intentionally. And and sometimes I have a good idea. I mean, if I'm taking like a feat, you know, the feat trees are notorious for that. So it's you know, cleave greater great cleave maybe, mm-hmm. but um. It depends on what the character is, and most of the times I'm not looking that far down the road. I'll tell you some of the coolest characters. My buddies uh, Lenny and Beta, and they had Newton Beecher in my Avalon game ages back. 
those characters started off. One was a um, a griffin, a city guard, who did uh, some illegal pit fighting on the side just to make some extra money for his family. And the other guy was a city-sponsored um, torturer. He belonged to the Torturer's Guild. And at the end of it, they somehow, some way, through all the different machinations, whatever, they ended up taking multiple different types of classes. They were they multi-classed across, took skills and feats and things that they could figure out. We were playing Pathfinder back then. And neither one of those players sat down and said, this is how it will go. They just went with the flow and like, well, this makes sense. I am doing this all the time now. I'm probably going to pick up these type of skills. And that's where they led into. And it, I think it made for some really kick-ass, not only role-playing, but also just some really great overall story developments. And the characters turned into something that nobody had anticipated and just sort of came whole cloth directly out of the, uh, out of the events of the game. It was really cool. All right, next. Christopher Gray. Any nominated Christopher Gray. Oh, that's right. We should do that now. For anybody who writes in who's been any nominated, we got to put a note. Any nominated Christopher Gray. Any nominated Christopher Gray. Uh, character evolution. Comments on 198. Hey, fellas. That was an interesting episode regarding character evolution and alignment. I'm with you that having to codify this sort of thing shouldn't be necessary. Ultimately, however, we have to concede that there are different types of players, and if this is the behavior you want your game to have, then there needs to be a mechanism for it. All right. That said, I think it's helpful if players look at their characters the way authors or actors do. From that point of view, you are putting yourself in your character's shoes and making decisions on their behalf based on what they would realistically do. When approached that way, as opposed to, say, an alignment rule, or even personality slash bond slash flaws, etc., then evolution seems to naturally happen. For example, in this con game I was playing, a rough, I was playing a roughneck asshole detective in an urban fantasy setting in Fate was mostly aiming for a caricature of that archetype, partly for laughs, but also to be contrary force, to be a contrary force to the rest of the magic practicing characters. My character didn't know about, nor did he believe in magic, and was quick to explain away things, until he saw what was effectively a wizard fight with magic explosions in an alley. Had I stuck to the rules, in this case an aspect, then that wouldn't have changed things for me, in fact, I was incentivized to re-roll by using that aspect to get out of shock. Instead, I decided this moment would necessarily uh, have to redefine the character. His entire worldview broke, so I chose to have him essentially shut down and fall into a catatonic state until the party could revive him somehow. That's not because I'm a brilliant role player. Well, I mean, it could be because of that. <laughs> But it's simply because I was viewing my character like an author, not as a game player, and worked out how we he would realistically respond. By the end of the session, he wasn't an asshole anymore, an actual character arc in a con game, if you can believe it. Just wanted to throw a couple cents at you guys on this good topic. Oh, and you're both right. Oh, thanks, Chris. So for Gray... You know, Mr. Gray, I will say it, what's interesting is that 
the first part we say, you know, there needs to be a mechanism for it. What you did there, there is no mechanism for. You opted to have a thing happen and so on. Now, granted, in a con game, it can be risky where you say, hey, I'm going to do this cool thing. <clears throat> Bang, my worldview changes. I go into a catatonic state. Somebody has to figure out how to wake me up. Sometimes that's cool. I could see <clears throat> someone at that table going, that's not how that works, right? I, I could see that happening. But I think the um, that kind of going for a perspective and my assumption is that you know what you're doing, obviously, and you said, hey, this is what's happening. This is why I'm going with this, you know. <clears throat> see me explaining worldview shattering, so on and so forth. Once I come out of it, things are going to change. And um, I, I think I think that's brilliant, honestly. I think that's a really good thing to do. And those are the types of things when I talk about when I tried to talk about before. You know, taking your con game home. This is one of those pieces where if you would do it at a con game, what you just what what Mr. Gray is talking about there, if you can do what Christopher did there. You can do that at your home game too. There's no reason not to. That's a really cool. That's a really cool thing to do. Bravo and good work, sir. Yeah. All right. So what else have we got? <clears throat> I've got an email from Hot Dog the Barbarian. I think the first time Hot Dog the Barbarian has emailed us. So that's pretty cool. If that is indeed your real name, I'm I'm assuming it is. Well, why why would we? <clears throat> why would we not? I'm gonna be like, where's the story behind that? <laughs> I kind of I kind of want to know that. I, I kind of want to know. I don't know if I want to meet Hot Dog or his, his or her parents. That's true. Could have been Oscar Mayer, and then they just changed it. I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Ballpark. They just my my son. Barbarian has a first name. First name. It's H O T D O G. <laughs> All right. I talked to Barbarian. Emailed us on uh, PC Evolution uh, episode one ninety eight again. Good topic. Sean had a great point about the feel of time past versus the time past in game. That being said, Brett. Oh wait, 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 wait. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. What? That, that he continues. Oh, or she, she can. The barbarian continues. The barbarian continues. That being said, Brett is right. Oh God! It's the crowd, man. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. They're weird tonight. <laughs> Characters should change according to their experiences in the world. Necessity dictates that the mechanics be easily adjudicated. That doesn't mean time in game is solely a matter of accumulated bonuses. Players should put the experience back in XP. <clears throat> Ooh, I like that. Players should put the experience back in XP. He also is correct that character evolution is a player skill. Just as the skillful GM may pay attention to his player's wants, the skillful player must reason why his character would engage with the adventure. Below is a common expression of poor player skill in a typical D&D scenario. From the Barbarian's perspective, GM, you manage to break the crypt seal beyond the stone doorway, descends into the dark. The mage responds with, my character is into research and books. He wouldn't delve into a dungeon. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. I've seen that happen. No way. Yeah. You want to punch, that, you want to punch that player right in the face. No way. <laughs> he goes on. This sort of laziness also crops up with the rogues, clerics, paladins, druids, and rangers. Are there any underdark trees to hug? No. My character wouldn't go down there. A skillful player, a good player takes on the job of explaining why his character would enter the dungeon. Otherwise, he's made a crap character for D&D, and he ruins the other player's fun for no reason except of lack of imagination. Best regards, Hot Dog the Barbarian. I'll tell you, man, one of the things I really liked about um, the gumshoe system, <clears throat> and I know other games do it too, but that one was it, it has a drive, and I know other game systems have drives and things that are there that you're supposed to leverage on your character where it says, hey, why do you do this? So you play playing Trail of Cthulhu, Ken Heights' um, uh, gumshoe version of Call of Cthulhu, and it has a drive. Like, I am a, I dig into these mysteries. I don't like to not know this stuff. I dig into these types of things. 
it's bonds, drives, <sighs> flaws, whatnot. Even D and D five E and some of the character stats have things in it like why would you do this? What is it about you that would cause you to want to engage with things? And I think that's necessary. I think that's really so I shouldn't say necessary sounds like okay, so somebody from the OSR world is gonna tell me bull fucking shit. You do not need that. You can totally just play and go. The problem is is when you have somebody who's going to play a game when the, it's not required, right? <clears throat> we're going into a dungeon. We're playing BX. It's a dungeon game. We're going to go into a dungeon and kill monsters and take their stuff. And one player looks in and says, well, I don't see why my magic user would do that. Why would he go in this dungeon anyway? I believe at a good OSR table, the rest of the players will turn to him and her and say, get the fuck off our table. <laughs> Because the whole point of that game is to do this thing, for God's sakes. So regardless of um, whether you story game it, you OSR it, or whatever, having to drive a desire, if nothing else is a player, make a character that's going to do something, man. I think that's really important. So good stuff, Barbarian. Thank you very much. Sean, next one's for you. Crim fan. Crim fan. I don't like that. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Leaves a comment on our website under episode 198. You guys are hitting some awesome topics recently. Oh, shucks. Thanks, man. Yeah. They're all mine. Mostly, breaths. yeah. No, they're not. I'll give breath credit. <laughs> Yay, I got credit. Ah, finally. Keep Pla- going. Planar Games. I'm in a game where our characters are in the process of relocating to Sigil. I also run a plane hopping campaign since 1999. That's not either Planescape or Spelljammer, but which ruthlessly steals from both, particularly Spelljammer and the Rod of Seven Parts. That sounds cool. So thanks, man, for letting us know. That sounds righteous. Character evolution continues. I tend to go for it. Most of my PCs end up having something hit during the course of their play. Just as Brett said, I've had some pretty big life experiences and changes, so I guess this appeals to me, though I don't usually actively plan it. I think it's a big part of what I like from a game. I usually make the character go through some kind of mechanical shift to reinforce it. In the game where we're re- re- we are relocating to Sigil, my character was a Vistani work. Warlock slash bard packed to the deck of many things. At some point during the campaign, I really had that quote, but, but I'm an addict, end quote, feeling when the DM threw a particularly strong temptation my way. Pretty epic campaign events happen leading to the winding of the Horn of Change. A number of Istani vows were violated, and we ended up getting an audience with Moradin. I asked him for how to shake loose from it. This ended up surprising the DM and the other players. Some questions later, now I'm a paladin slash bard with a rather different outlook on life. Nice. I guess for me, that's part of my own life that I've found as being something I like to reflect in the game. But not all characters need that, and not all players want it. And many games don't really support it, as Sean P. Kelly said. So, it depends. 
fine. All right, we'll give you points for that one, Sean. Good stuff, Crim fan. That it does make sense. I love the. I, I, I like the idea of that type of uh, class change and stuff. I've had that happen with characters before, where we're like, "Yo, look, this is <clears throat> instead of the classic, you know, paladins fall from grace." Sometimes it could be a working from. I used to be a thing, and now I'm this other piece. And again, not all players want it or need it or crave it or anything. And that's fine. But I think having it as an option out there for whatever reason, so that the the players who do want slash need or really desire to do that type of thing have the opportunity to do it. I do like the idea, we've talked about this a couple times now, about having some sort of a mechanism that plays into it. So even if you're playing in a point-by system, like a Savage Worlds or something, like, hey, I now no longer do X, I now do Y instead, or I've got a big change about my character. Um, Having it a really cool story piece and then a mechanism that kind of bolt on to it as well to really make sure that story piece sticks to the character, right? And I think that's where the mechanistic approach to this comes in. It takes that really cool story angle, but then bolts it right onto that character sheet for you so, so, so that you say, hey, because of this change... I now have actual change on my character sheet where the pluses are different, the minuses are the percentages and stuff. So I think that does make total sense. I like that. Sean, you good with that? Yes. That's good. Good. Deep. Deep, Sean. That was deep. (laughs) I try. All right. Ooh, Steve Orlick. I think I'm about to like Steve. Oh, boy. Stand your ground, Brett. I'm with you. Although Sean made some good points, you're right. He's wrong. <laughs> oh, that felt good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that out and put it on my screen. <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah. Steve continues, yes, it depends on the type of character. Hack and slashers and min-maxers probably won't be into character growth at all. Those who are more into role play will be more open to it. Time in game is a good point, but the rebuttal is that characters face extreme and extraordinary events every day in a game. They're not farmers or laborers where life is static and nothing crazy really happens. Although I've worked with guys on a farm before. Crazy shit happens on a farm. Just a, There's a slight aside. Fair. Um, <laughs> people, die, people die on a farm randomly. It's fucking scary. Anyhow, carry on. Steve was not meaning to dis, dis, uh, dis on farmers. Anyway, blah. Totally went aside there. Blah, 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 blah. Ah, yes. He continues... An adventurer sees some shit, sees some serious shit on a daily basis. A modern-day human facing a life like that would definitely change views in a short period of time. Alabaz, my character in a D&D campaign, is entirely built on the things that have happened to him. Yes, he started a certain way and had, had a concept, but as things happened, he changed. His views, alignment, goals, multi-class path have all been shaped by the events he has faced. He's far from an optimal build, but I like to let the story shape the character. Plus, flawed characters rule. So while LaKelly made some decent points... There are those of us out there who get off on character evolution and submersion into the game. Don't backpedal, Brett Nation forever. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> so you're still all right in my book, Sean. I just keep finding myself on Team Brett. Nothing personal. Keep up the BS, guys. Steve Orlick. <sighs> Poor Sean. He's got that. He's got that defeated look. I'm trying to like Steve. I really am. I think Steve's a stand-up person. <laughs> <laughs> Stay on the ground. You don't say. I don't say. Yes, yes, I do, I do. <laughs> Fair enough, Steve. You're entitled to your opinion, no matter how skewed it may be. Notice I, I did not say wrong. As I, well, I was going to say, like I've told my kids, you're entitled to be as wrong as you like. Go for it. All right, Sean, next one's for you. Well, there's not a whole lot of narration and uh, comments on that one, eh, Brett? What's that? Oh, what? What? <laughs> 
Okay. Ready? Yeah. Go. James Carruthers emails us about 197, which is the game like it's a convention game. Hi, guys. As always, my opening comment is how much I continue to enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you, James. Regarding episode 197, Brett was too apologetic. What the hell is going on tonight? I think <laughs> people would just be they're being nice to me because I had our time with my home group. So they're just they're just trying to build me up, Sean. This is it's just all just a little pats on the back. Look, everybody, Brett's got the hardest steel. He can take that shit. Now, quit giving him some quit sympathizing. Sending him sympathy emails. Kick his ass. <laughs> Go on. Pretty soon this guy's going to be too soft over there. I know. I'll be big squishy dude. All right. <clears throat> it was a great discussion. Sure, you meandered all over the place, but that particular topic kind of demanded it. Hey, look at that. Our, our, total, <laughs> our total lack of direction actually applied to the topic. That's, that that was planned. Totally, totally planned. Totally planned. Totally planned. We agree on that. We absolutely agree on that. Sean very insightful insightfully answered Brett's quandary pretty much out of the gate, but Brett persisted to push the question further, and the ensuing discussion was great. My thought on the matter is simple. Consciously or unconsciously, we game in pursuit of the special, memorable moments. Brett's opening question supports this premise. In a one-shot environment, such as a con, we have to push for the most creative, risky, or extreme choice in each scene and encounter in order to ensure we get the memorable moments we seek in the short time at hand. And the disposable nature of our one-shot characters, to Sean's point, also helps enable this approach to the game. We seek the same memorable moments in our long-term campaigns, too. However... I think there are two main reasons we temper the pursuit of the moment in this longer format context. First one, playing a little more cautiously will help the character live longer, which leads to stronger emotional attachment and deeper relationships with the NPCs, the world, and the other PCs, all of which leads to even more deeply memorable moments when they eventually organically transpire. And secondly, Memorable moments are memorable. Memorable. <laughs> easy, God. easy for you to say. Memorable moments are memorable because they are special. Man, if I had like two, three more beers, that would all be one word. Memorable. Because they are special, and the more rare a thing is, to a point, the more special, valued, and memorable it will be. Pushing it to the max in every scene and in every encounter in every session of a long campaign would be exhausting, unsustainable, and frankly would become distasteful pretty quickly. Ooh, that's a good point. Good gamers subconsciously know this and pace their games accordingly, pushing hard for it in one-shots and letting them play out more gradually in longer campaigns in order to get those special moments we'll never forget. My final thought. No matter how creatively a DM chooses to adjudicate some crazy off-the-cuff antics of her players, she is still playing by the raw, or rules as written, because the rule of cool is above all, but higher still is rule zero. The exact verbiage may be different and verbose, but it's all there in undeniable black and white on page four of the 5E 
DMG. So in that sense, Brett, when you let the kids take a called shot in certain circumstances, you are, in fact, playing rules as written. At least that's how I interpret it. Winky, winky. (laughs) Take care, James, from the sunshine coast of British Columbia. That's good stuff, man. I like the, um, the... The point you have there, and I think Sean was getting at this, I'd have to go back and re-listen to the episode to see, but that the memorable moments are memorable, you know, the the exhausting, unsustainable nature of trying to bring that much heat to everything, right? That's like trying to to fire the Nolan Ryan fastball, uh, baseball pitcher, to do the fastball every fucking time you're going to throw your arm out, right? Turn it up to 11 every time is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if if you feel a little exhausted. Too bad. Hey, man, they got that five-hour energy shit. That's, that just means you're doing it right. That's what you're saying. It's a monster drink. Just keep it legal. That's all I'm saying, folks. Exactly. Thank you, though, James. That was very cool. Thank you, man. All right. Thomas from Beholder's Horde comments on 170, no, 197, 170, 197, 197 as well. Hello, BSers. I just thought, uh, uh, just a thought on episode one ninety-seven. Numbers, you words, me numbers, no good. Dude, I gotta spell this shit out for you. Probably. Um, <clears throat> just a thought on episode one ninety-seven: the difference between con play and home play. I've often pondered over this question several times myself. I find groups of, and people don't play the same in long campaigns they do at a con. Is investment of time. Often I see players um, put hours, weeks, months, possibly years into a PC. It's hard to play risky with a PC or just getting where you want to, where you want to have been envisioning the whole time to be. For example, right after you get the Holy Avenger sword you spend weeks questing for for the awesome magical staff your mage just found, at a convention, the worst thing that could happen with PC death is a little longer break between sessions or going to lunch early. A lot of time you can just grab another pre-gen and keep going. At one con, I watched a player go through three PCs onto the fourth one where the DM told him it was the last pre-gen he had. <laughs> That's funny. Only one of these PC deaths seemed to be from bad choices. The rest were just misfortune of the dice. The game was a blast, and like Brett said, all the talk was about how much fun the game was and, and the oddball way each death happened. Only two PCs lived in the end of this game, and <clears throat> and those players caught a good heartfelt flack for not following the rest of the PCs to their doom. Go figure. At the same convention, I played in a 5e AL Adventures League game. Um, one of the players took from the session very seriously because he had been playing with his PC in several sessions and had plans for the PC to continue on in Adventure League games. Hence an investment of time and planning. The other thing I found with players I DM for is fear of the unknown. Players seem to be fearful for what's not written down somewhere. If that's not what the rules say, how do we know? There seems to be this fear that someone's going to cheat or pull a fast one. If, uh, if not the DM, then one of the other players might get something or do something no one else can. As for DM reluctance on this topic, I feel that there's a fear of, of setting expectations or precedents that will not be seen as fair or maybe sustainable later on. You guys have touched on good player versus good good playing yeah good player versus good playing skills a couple of episodes. It sounds like a good topic to kick around. As always, great show. Keep the armor polished and the coffers full. Thomas from Beholder Sword. Cool. Thanks, man. What do you think about that one, Sean? Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anything th- you don't? Anything you don't like? Um. No, I think no? it makes. I mean, that's. I think pretty spot on as far as con versus campaign. Yeah, I mean the the idea of the the time investment. We talked. I mean, well, know, 
There's a lot stuff. of players that don't want to. I mean, they they create a character, they have a concept, and they want to play that character for as long as they possibly can. Yeah. So they don't have any. They don't want to have the character die and make it up and go through all that again. There are one. Uh, there are some folks that. I mean, they're all about. I want my character to die if it makes sense in the story. I mean, I've, I've I've mentioned Kevin on the on the show before. You've game with Kevin. Kevin will ride every character he's got like he stole it. Kev Thulu. He he will do that. He'll play it. He whether he dies, goes insane, whatever. If something bad happens, like yep, that's what happened. Yeah, and and the same emotional passion goes into that character as the as the character who's lived for five six sessions or the whole campaign. He doesn't right. care. Yeah, and that's okay. but that's him. That's right. him. That's his yeah. style. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. We got one more. Well, so Blake, Ryan, from Down Under, says, good day. Suggest, so this is suggested format slash flow for better player episode. As we mentioned it. He hooked onto it. Mm-hmm. And he puts it simply, the basics and advanced. A six-step process. So basics, number one. Ask questions. Don't assume or be rude. Okay. I like it. Right? Number two, pay attention. <laughs> oh, my God. That could be number one. Hey, so that far. Could easily, that could be right. top of the list right there. Fucking pay attention. Number three, share time and story with the group. Don't be a hog. Got it. Right? It, now we go into the advanced. Number four, fit to the genre. Uh, fit to the genre. Read the player's uh, books slash handouts. Do the work. Make sense? Number five, give your characters depth. Hobbies, family, goals. Good stuff. All right. Number six, help the GM. Mapping, teaching newbies, note-taking. I like that. That's it. So being a good player uh, for the Better Player <laughs> episode... Um, there you go. Six. I think that, I think that six might well be Blake. it. So we, you and I have talked before about what we'd like to see at the table. You know, what do we like in players? That type of thing. And I think it's nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to show up for Christ's sake. Just fucking show up. Um, no, I think Blake's got um, six really decent. <laughs> if you're at, if you're paying attention, asking questions, and um, sharing time, not being a hog, right there. Sure. You're, you're a fucking winner. At the table. And um, if you've been given a player's handout or, hey, could you read this? Or, hey, this is the, the genre is, you know, Cold War Spies. Play to the genre. Do the thing you're supposed to do. <clears throat> Depth of character, hobbies, family, goals, something. It doesn't have to be crazy, but add some oomph to it. So it's not just, you know, murder hobo on a character sheet sometimes. And uh, helping the GM, grabbing on the mapping, teaching newbies, note-taking, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I think that's good. I've, I've known a number of different players over the years did who, you just reread the whole thing again yeah i just i just think it's it's worth <laughs> it's worth stating though because i think i really think these are they're super simple but i think they really make sense they really do yeah do you ever have anybody in your group take notes for like the whole group has anyone done that for you yes More recently yes yeah? like no, cur- uh, currently or well i haven't run a game in a while but i usually have one person that's usually pretty diligent with notes we typically is a, is a no-brainer. There's always usually one person that's always keeping track of treasure. 
Yeah. But I also have had individuals that have been note taker person. Have you ever done the note taker role yourself? Um, I have done it myself for myself. <clears throat> but not, not necess- for the group as a whole. Not necessarily for the group. It's more kind of my own. Um, I guess I could reference them back reference back to them and you know, let the group know. But typically I'm jotting things down because I'm like, all right, who's that NPC's name? What's the deal? Who are we supposed to go and find? Because I think that's one thing that you got to be careful with is, okay, you go through all this effort to convey everything, and then the player, you, you maybe it comes to an end, and then you reconvene, and then all that stuff's like, I don't remember the last time any of that detail. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> it, it's not even the details. They may like, well, we, were, we met that one guy, and then that woman told us to go here, but all the nuances are lost. And, you know, from an immersion perspective or even just it's something as simple as my son is running uh, Lost Men's Offendover for my uh, daughter and I. We were just running it. He was running a little bit earlier today. Busting his chops? No, he's... Um, are, you doing mer- every, are you doing everything contrary to Blake? No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> my biggest thing right now is um, it's coaching Ilana on play. Oh. And I've gone through taking notes and I look at her and say, what do your notes say? She's like, oh, um, Gundren Rockseeker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, what's what are we looking for? Oh, yeah, that's what we're looking for. So I show her the notes I've got. I'm taking notes for the group. One, it's it's actually kind of rewarding that I have all this information. So AJ will look at us, and he'll do the thing I've done. So what do you remember from last time? <clears throat> Lana goes through some stuff, and she says, Daddy, what do you know? And I blur through stuff. She goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Even just simple bullet points, it's really it's really helpful. And I've seen... Oh, I'll throw another shout out to Kevin. Kev Thule's been really good at taking notes for group before. Yes. He's done a very good job with that. He has. I will uh true testimony to that guy. Um one of the, and I talked about this ages back, <clears throat> but when I ran a trailer Cthulhu the first time I ran, I ran Bookhounds of London. Uh so everybody in belongs to a bookstore in London. And what I did was I got a little leather bound note journal, pasted in a bunch of data that they would need to know, setting stuff up front. But someone at the table had to take notes for the group. They could take them however they wanted to. didn't matter. Well, the guy who was playing with me at the time, Seth, Seth is a prison guard. So his notes look like his notes from, like, his prison guard job. Like, oh, if he's in a man. tower doing this, it's like five minutes, this minute, it's super detailed. It got to Lenny. It's a crazy-ass mind map of weird notes and scribbles and things all over it. <laughs> everybody took them in their own way and it got passed around like what the fuck is this who did that what is this it became because because of the nature of it you know it's all about books and exploring books and digging into it, it became a really kind of cool prop it's a library a fun it's a library game it was a little bit of a library game it was a lot of fun brad's all about the action all about the action library everybody sit there and stare so we where is this going to take place brad uh, and a bookstore, bookstore, bookstore. Yeah, lots okay. of tomes. Lot, lots of tomes. Great. It was a, uh, it was fun though. It was a really having the notes being passed around the group were a lot of fun. That's one when we talk about that game. That's a piece of it. Goes, yeah, that was really fun. We've never done that before. That was neat. So that was kind of cool. Got to get back to that, Brett. I think they don't, I do. they don't like your new shit. Ouch! <laughs> oh my god, man. <laughs> Hey, I, go got, with, I got a hey, couple go good props. Just go, boom, right, 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 right below the belt. Right, yeah, that, Brett, remember that? Remember that, that shit that they told right. you they hate? That was unfair. That was no, unfair. Wow, that, was, just, that, was, that was fucking funny. Yeah, that get, that, get that sliver in that thumb, man, and just freaking tweak that sucker every once in a while. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, damn, dude, that was funny. 
Oh, it hurt, but it was still funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, we had a we we talked about plane plane hopping. We had a couple different uh, listeners. Eric Frankhouse got a hold of me and said, "Hey, dude, I used to play the hell out of Planescape back in the day." We had Randy Nichols email into us and say he's played a whole bunch of Planescape in the past as well. So it's Some, interesting. Somebody else mentioned. Uh, Somebody mentioned Darcy Ross too on Twitter. I apologize for not the credit. I don't know if that was I'm trying to think of who was. Maybe it was was it Blake? Somebody mentioned like Darcy Ross, like this is a big Planescape player. Oh wow! See, yeah. Planescape was one of those things that I knew that it was popular because I would see the stuff sell. I would see it in the stores and flying off. What well, not flying off? It was or whatever. They sold. They sold pretty well at the game store in my hometown. That was when I think that's when TSR had like I don't know fifty box sets of different <laughs> yeah. settings. Birthright, right? Planescape, Mistra, Hollow World. Dicka, 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 dicka. Yeah, Ka- Al Kadid or Al Kadim. Yeah, Al Kadim. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I knew it was out there, and I love the art because I love uh, Tony Dutalizi. I never pronounced his last name correctly, but he really great artist, very evocative. It was really cool. The whole lady, a pain, sigil, and all that stuff. Sigil, sorry, and. I never did it, and it was always one of those things because it's kind of like superhero games for me. I just don't – the plane hopping thing went, eh, superhero games for me, like, eh, it's just not a thing. So that was uh, – it's interesting to see the number of people that have listened to us that have said, oh, yeah, I played that. Oh, I played the hell out of it. Oh, yeah, I really like that stuff. That's kind of neat just to see the different things that people are into. Yeah. Yes, Brett. <clears throat> it is. You're, you're a dick. <laughs> What? Next episode's two hundred. I don't even like you anymore. Yeah, two hundred. Hey, tune in for our uh, podcast finale on episode two hundred, ladies and gentlemen. Be Brett pounding on Sean with a two by four. So (sighs) it'll be Brett will be relaunching spinoff. We'll have a (laughs) spinoff. Brett's podcast. Nice, dude. That was a lot. That was a lot. Do we want to? Do we want to do a topic today? Do we want to get a big main topic, or are we going to rest? I don't know. We're like forty minutes in. Damn. So even if we had a topic, I don't know. Um, well, I'll tell you what. Let me. I'll throw this out there. We'll be kind of. I'll try to be short and sweet about it. See if we can. So when we're talking about <clears throat> planning characters and um, way they change and so forth, we've talked about you know how we build encounters um, and so forth. One of the things that is interesting to me is anytime I have <clears throat> sat down and plotted out in how, whatever format I was using at the time, saying, "Boy, I really think." This thing will be big, right? You're like you read a module, go, wow, this is clearly the big fight. This is Tiamat in. Fuck, this is going to be the the brawl. This is going to be the thing. And I think there is. It's interesting when I've gone back and looked at different games. We'll talk about something like, hey, that was a really good campaign. How to go? Oh yeah, it was great. Oh my god, remember that time when we had to when we had to figure out how to get around that gelatinous cube? I'm like, you remember that? That's the thing you remember? The stupid gelatinous cube that almost had you cornered? That's what you remember? You don't remember all the plots and machinations? <laughs> That's what you remember the gelatinous cube. That was like the event um, that popped in their head when they thought about that campaign. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and the fact that we, we saved the dwarves and we started an entire revolution. That was cool. Yeah, we started a whole dwarven civil war part two. That was neat. But that gelatinous cube. I'm like, really? That was crazy. I think it's... <coughs> excuse me. I think it's interesting... As game masters, it when we plan these things out, to not kind of like as a as a as a player sometimes, right? It's great to have passion on a character and stuff, but if they die, they die. And I think as a game master, you have to look at some of your encounters and say, you know what, the big red dragon at the end, 
or you finally found the notorious, you know, space gangster you've been hunting down forever, that may not be the big thing that you think it is. It could be the fact that they were on this planet doing this other thing, right? It, the players will find the most memorable. The players will make the encounter, the big encounter themselves, right? Sometimes it's as, it's as quirky as nobody remembers what a shrieker is, which is this weird little mushroom thing that makes high-pitched noises in first edition AD&D. No one will remember what the fuck a shrieker is. They'll encounter it, and they will freak the fuck out, and the rest of the evening, fighting the bugbear king and rescuing, you know, the, the stupid prince who got caught, blah, blah, blah. They won't even fucking remember that. But they will remember the fact that they had shriekers and mushroom men, myconids, that they had to fight. That's the weird-ass thing that happened in that adventure. That became the big encounter. And I think <clears throat> anytime I've looked at something and said, oh, this is going to be the big encounter, this is going to be the big thing, I am only 50-50 <laughs> being able to call that. I find it usually just run every encounter and don't go in assuming that this is going to be the big thing because every almost I shouldn't say every I'd say about 50/50 I've tried that and it falls flat or it doesn't quite go over quite well. Just play it. Just play it and um see what happens. If it doesn't turn out to be the big thing, that's okay. Sean, have you ever had that happen? Have the... you ever had encounters not work, Sean? Do you need a, do you need a pill for that? Come Sorry, on, man. that totally come, went. Come on. <laughs> totally went I don't even know why you asked that question. <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you, Brett? What do you think about that? Does that does that sing to you, or do you think that's crazy it, talk? It does sing to me, and I think we don't do enough of it. There, I said it. I said it. They're good. Very yeah. good. Play to find out what happens. It's okay. To not know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's okay. Sometimes I think game masters are a little control, control freaks. Uh, uh, <laughs> just saying, a little bit. Maybe some more than others. Oh, yeah. I mean, we find our control in weird places sometimes. <laughs> for like, like, yeah. Why, why are you running the game? Because no one else runs the game right. That's true. <laughs> I've, There's- I, I have said that before. <laughs> Eight yeah. years ago, I, I have said that. Well, no one else does it right. That's why I'm doing it, because I mean, no one knows what he's doing. Give me those goddamn books. Give, fucking give me that give me screen. Those dice. What Get out of the way. Get out of here. There. What are you doing, kid? Yeah. What are you reading that for? That's that's block text. Let me put some flavor on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, <clears throat> not, it's not all the time, but it, you know, I think it's just a matter of, and I've said it before, put the problems in front of the characters and let them... Let let's see what happens because you know what, it they're gonna do. You're gonna plan. It goes back to planning and all that stuff. You're gonna plan on a particular path, and they're never gonna take it. So not always, not always. But you're gonna be like, oh yeah, this will be really really cool. And you're gonna think it's the greatest thing, and then they're gonna screw it all up. <laughs> <laughs> even if they don't, even if they don't screw it up, right? Say say right. they show up and they fight. You know they they fucking. You know, kill the Sarlacc. You know, they, they save this guy. They kill the Sarlacc monster, and it's, this is awesome. We're in the desert. Oh my god, this is this totally fucking thing worked. Wow, this is amazing. But it's not the most memorable thing. It didn't. It wasn't. It was a big fight, but it was no better a big fight than the last two big fights, right? I think sometimes as game masters, we'll build something up in our heads, and even players too. Like, okay, this is it. This is the big thing. And if you're a, especially if you're a let the dice fall where they may, and you don't 
mess with the results. Wow, look, um, three critical rolls in a row, huh? It's dead. <laughs> That's right. it. Yeah, you you fucking killed it. It's dead. Wow. The Shriekers and the Mykonids were harder than this. Yeah, I know. Crazy, huh? Wow, that's weird. That's okay. Sometimes, you know, if that's how you play and that's how it shakes out, I, I say that's legit. Now, for the record, I feel your pain. <laughs> when your beautiful thing is destroyed. I understand that you've planned. You had a certain vision, and it's gone. I, oh, yes. I can empathize. It's not it's not if it's going to happen, it's when. That's true, and we should all join that support group. <laughs> it's called the bar, and everybody S- goes there. Sit down in a circle and share those stories about how you had something that was just inevitably, inevitably going to be cool, and it didn't. That's not the thing that became cool or memorable, as Brett would say. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's if you... I told people this before, like, hey, <clears throat> I was asked, how do you get a gaming group that lasts for 20-plus years? One is, you know, you occasionally have weird little spats and get mad at each other like a bunch of teenage kids. <clears throat> but one of the things that happened, I never set out to do that, right? I didn't sit down and say, how do I formulate this thing? We figured it out, we worked it out, and we just keep going. And if you sit down and you say, I need to have the most amazing ending for this game. And that's cool, and, and I get that, but it might not be the thing the players think is amazing. And that will disappoint you if that happens. <clears throat> if you're not willing to say, you know what, it, eh. Again, it's kind of the mistakes made type of thing, but it says um, as things pop out, sometimes the thing that's the most memorable is that time when your character, when <clears throat> that player looks at you and says, I remember that time when I was a warlock bard, and I shifted, and I'm now a paladin. Right, that we just read about. That could be the coolest thing. And no one else cares about that camp, that whole weird-ass game, um, except for the fact that the hard-ass jerk detective went catatonic and suddenly changed. Maybe that's the thing that everyone at that table remembers that they walked away from. All the encounters, other encounters don't matter, but that one was really cool. Even the big one at the end that was supposed to be the cool one. It's just not cool. And I think uh, <clears throat> what I'm trying to say at the end of it is don't put too much energy in trying to make sure cool happens. As Sean said, play to find out what happens, go with it. And sometimes the cool thing is going to be the wonky-ass shit where they're trying to get across this underground stream and there's piranhas in there. And um, they just f- freak out for no fucking reason. And they spend a four-hour session trying to figure out how to get across the stream. But they love every minute of it and they have a great time. Hey, it happens, and it, I just say go with it. It's good for you. The right. most memorable moments I've had, some of them, are usually one-liners. <laughs> and it has, like, just the most ridiculous thing occurs, which is usually, you know, a person who infiltrates a camp and then infiltrates a tent but comes up, stumbles upon guards and mm-hmm. is not obviously in uniform. And they ask, hey, where's your uniform? And the character says, it's in the cleaners. <laughs> it's, All in, right. it's in the cleaners. 
exactly. Yeah. And, the, and then the Star game master game. goes, and then the game master's like, what the fuck ever? Okay, give me a roll. And they knock it out of the park. You're like, all right, fine. It's in the cleaners. And it works. Oh, that's awesome. In the cleaners, Roger. Roger. I know he doesn't listen to this one, but. (laughs) Shall we die roll it up? Yeah, let's do die roll. Boom. All right, Brett. Kick her off, buddy. Yeah, so. I'm a Cthulhu fan, love my Delta Green stuff. I missed out on the original Delta Green, the Kickstarter. I just wasn't in a good spot to be able to throw some cash at that one. But they have a new one, uh, Delta Green, the Labyrinth uh, Kickstarter. And uh, by the time I saw it come across my social media streams, like, oh, yeah, oh, there's this cool thing. And uh, Adam Scott Glancy's like, yeah, apparently it's already funded. So, yeah, if you want to get in on it, good, but it's going to (laughs) happen. It is. They had a twenty-seven thousand dollar goal. They're already at thirty-one three seventy, as of uh, today, July 9th, when we're recording this. Still have uh, twenty-one days to go as of today, July ninth. So by the time this drops, if you're still interested in it, it will be out there and available for you to get in on the fun. Link in the show notes, of course. Labyrinth, uh, the labyrinth for Delta Green. All right, Sean, over to you, sir. So what is it? Just a supplement for Delta <clears throat> Green? Yeah, it's a. Um, <clears throat> it's a source book of threats, allies, and mysteries to deepen the terrors of your campaign. Written by John Scott Tynes, which is pretty cool. Tynes does some incredibly good freaking work, so this is really cool. Excelente. All right. Uh, Todd Crapper. Any award nomination, Todd Crapper? The one, the only. That's right. He has created a game called By the General's Hand. We heard somebody had some certain influence upon Todd. I heard about that. Heard that, yeah. A couple guys, nutty dudes that spout crap on their podcast. (laughs) Exactly. But don't let that impact your impression (laughs) of Todd's fine work. No. It's a two-person RPG. Uh, he sums it up this way. Greetings, BSers. He put this out on our Google Plus page or community. Uh, greetings, BSers. I wanted to share this with everyone because this game was actually inspired by some jokers. Um, when Brett mentioned how gamers used to actually handwrite their turns and mail them out to other players, it got me thinking about a game where two generals send letters home to loved ones revealing their side's victories, defeats, and setbacks. Those letters are then sent to the other player with the dice rolls encoded in the body of the letter, and the war progresses until one side has accumulated enough victories and accepts a letter of surrender from their enemy. Along the way, each general answers questions about the deeper truths behind the war and exposes just how shitty it can be for both sides. Nice. So... We got a link in the show notes. I think it's like a whole two bucks or something on drive through. If you're interested in doing that, Brett, I think you and I should do an actual play of this. Yeah, I don't know how we would do. We could do it. I mean, I think. Well, I haven't bought it yet. That's the first thing I got to do. Is I got to right. go get a copy of this. Right. So, so I think one of the things that he says, and I don't not in there, but he he mentioned somewhere um, that you can do it do it digitally. Oh. But he does encourage you to do the handwritten form. There was a uh, Lovecraftian version similar called De Profundis, 
uh, ages back. I think there was a second edition of it too, which is on drive through now. That is uh, designed to be letters back and forth in a Cthulhu mythos. But this mm-hmm. this approach is interesting from a a war perspective because what I was talking about was the play by mail uh, war gaming that used to be done, and to <clears throat> take this and uh, cinch it down to this type of uh, format, I like this. This is good stuff, Todd. I got I got to buy me a copy. That's what I got to do. Um, my last one before we turn it over to listeners, and this is kind of just a collaborative between Brett and I, uh, is to congratulate all the any award nominees for mm-hmm. 2018. And there are quite a few BSers, friends of the show, um, that are included in this. Probably the most ever that we actually kind of, I mean, some of the folks we haven't met face-to-face, uh, but they've contributed to our show. They've given us topics to talk about. They've written in on Random Encounters. They, they're Man, these guys are professionals. They're the ones, like, putting product and getting paid. Yeah, they're, they're doing good stuff, man. So we want to acknowledge some of them for sure. Um, so what, what do you want to alternate? Yeah, there, you Brett? go first. All right, so the first one is... Our our personal friend Jason Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends, the OSR. <laughs> Love he's, Hobbs. Hobbs is nominated for best podcast. If you haven't listened to Hobbs, he's over on the Misdirected Mark uh, network of podcasts. We'll plug the network as well, and so we'll have a link in the show notes to the website so that you can also get more of Jason Hobbs and his friends of the OSR. Well, Sean's been on it. I've been on it. It's a damn good show. Yes, Hobbs does a good job. Yes, and he's just and, and he's a cool dude too. He's yes. fun. Yep. And Jason Cordova, uh, we we haven't brought up on the show before, but he's part of the Gauntlet and uh, Fear of the Black Dragon is also an OSR show. Have you listened to Fear of the Black Dragon? I have not. It, they go through. They take kind of a basic expert, back me right. Basic yep. expert. Companion? Basic, expert, companions, masters, immortals. But I think they only go through basic and expert, if I'm not mistaken. They go through some old school modules, and they review them, um, and they go, here's the basics. And they have a certain format that they tackle, and then they go, here's the expert, and then they go through. And they're not all TSR-based modules, but, you know, another OSR podcast. So, um, yeah. There's other ones. That are nominated, but those are the ones we we chose and called out. So, continuing on, Brad. Yes, Christopher Gray, uh, his product, the Happiest Apocalypse on Earth. We got the affiliate link out here uh, uh, for best cover and best interior art by Robert Herbert. Product Hebert. is all Hebert. Yeah. Sorry, Hebert. Good yeah, God. Unless I missed the R in the first syllable, I don't yep. think so. But I think the it's product Hebert. is also up for a, for product of the year as well. So, Mr. Gray, good work, sir. Very well done. Yeah, that guy's, like, crushing it this year. Um, third, Gnome Stew. Those guys, they're always up there. There's such an awesome crew of bloggers. Um, yeah, they do good stuff. If you want, I mean, if you want, like, our podcast turned up to, like, 20 in written form, then it's, it's Gnome Stew. Yep. So the Gnomes. And they have a podcast. Yes, they, they do. They do. And, and An- uh, next, Angela oh, hosts. Ange- yes, she does. Uh-huh. And we've got Monkey Blood Design and Publishing, uh, Glenn Seal. 
uh, for best cartography for the Midlands and OSR setting and bestiary, which is really cool. And um, I'm expect hopefully very very soon, Sean, our uh, Midlands goodies will be on the on the boat to us. Yes, from the last Kickstarter, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what else we got? Oh, over to you, Todd Crapper and his company, Broken Ruler Games. Um, for High Plains Samurai Legends or Best Free Game. Free people. Nice. F R E E. Best Free Game. So there you can even actually go and get it and you don't have to pay for it and you could see how awesome it is on your own. Yep. And last but not least is Aloy Lasanta with his PIP System Core Book affiliate link there. And uh, from Third Eye Games for Judges Spotlight Winner. Uh, per Kurt Wegel. So, Eloy, uh, Eloy, I'll be meeting him, and uh, he's going to be at QCC, so I will see him in person there. So that'll be pretty cool. So congratulations, everybody. <laughs> we hope a lot of the folks that we just mentioned are going to be winners in August at Gen Con. We shall find out. It is a a uh, uh, an award where you will be able to go and vote for these folks if you're interested, or others that are that interest you. The Ennies, despite, you know, some people have their own opinions about the Ennies, but you can go down the list and find out about what's going on. That's what I like about them is not only the folks that I know that are up for the awards, but other folks that have product that I can go, hey, I never heard of that podcast, or hey, I never heard of that product. Maybe I'll have to check that out. Yep. Very good stuff. Lastly, there's one more. You want me to do it? Oh, the Joe Swick one? Yeah. Oh, Joe Swick posted up the Austin uh, Hedekey's D&D Tools program. We've got a little uh, <clears throat> got some information here in the show notes. It's completely interactive. It's a character generator, NPC generator, 35 NPC classes, save, exported, generated characters, dice rollers, encounter calculators, loot calculators. This is a damn good-looking thing. Got a tarot card game in there, wild magic effects, good stuff. So... Very cool. If you'd like to support that project, a simple star on GitHub will suffice, or uh, look into some of the homebrew stuff that he's doing. We've got a little link there, too, as well. So this is really cool. Good stuff. Thank you, Joe, for calling that one out. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Um, Brian Kurtz, thanks for the review. We appreciate it. You happy to leave that on iTunes? I think you can leave review on Google Android, too. Now, Android listeners, I don't know how many we have. Um, there's quite a difference in Android and iTunes, but now that Android has their own, it's kind of built into search. If you want to find us and you're an Android user, just search for the podcast and it should come up. And then you can actually, I think, even get an icon on your mobile device where you just click on the icon and it'll tell you when a new episode releases. So something to be aware of. But thanks so much for that doing that, Brian. Very kind words. And it was a good review, I should stipulate. He didn't leave us a one star. Oh, it's very nice. Yeah. So there we go. Brett, next week, what? Not, not sure. Don't know. We'll come oh. up with something. Okay. We'll we'll start the wheels turning now. Exactly. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Um, and I will wrap this up and say uh, thanks for tuning in. This has been an episode of Game and BS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. All right, this episode of Gaming BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Ram Miner, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Lugary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, 
James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Wistatic, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Kyle Winner, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Gleeman, Sky, Roger Bryslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Turtuyanen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Stefan Dragonspawn, Alan Agus, Roll for Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, Joris Sedgwick, Kevin Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bonds, Palladian, Ron Blessing, Brian Kurtz, and the Knights of the Night crew. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.